Hey everyone, welcome back to Strange New Worlds. It's Mike here, and today I'm going to do a short solo episode, or at least I hope it's going to be short. I think it's going to be short. All about my pre-Picard thoughts, because it's not every day that we get a brand new Star Trek series coming our way, premiering on CBS All Access. Woohoo! Or I guess if you're outside the United States, Amazon Prime Video this time, uh, not Netflix. Gotta mix it up somehow, I guess. Um, yeah, new show, um, old characters and new characters, and I'm just feeling a lot of things right now, and I don't know, I thought it would help me to just speak them into a microphone, and maybe they'd be interesting to you, so here we go. So to start off, and this probably tells you a lot about me, when I look at the Star Trek Picard logo, the Starfleet Chevron... It actually bothers me that the Starfleet Chevron looks a little bit tilted. Does anybody else see that in this logo, that the Chevron is just a little bit tilted as if it was leaning to the right by like a fraction of a degree? And it just ticks me off. It just bothers me. I'm just like, ooh, it's somehow imperfect. But maybe that's on purpose. And maybe it hints at something that's going on in Jean-Luc Picard's life. That he's a little bit off his rocker in his old age. Perhaps he is suffering from the onset of Eromotic Syndrome, which is a neurological disorder that in a different timeline in the finale of Star Trek The Next Generation, the, the episode called All Good Things, dot dot dot, that alternate timeline into the future, Jean-Luc Picard has this neurological disorder called Eromotic Syndrome. And even when Picard flips back into the real timeline, I think he has Beverly Crusher actually analyze him for the possibility of Eromotic Syndrome. And I think she discovers that he actually does have indications that he would be very susceptible to this disorder. And so maybe Picard is actually suffering from that. I, I wouldn't be surprised, especially given that he appears to be having dreams or visions of data in the trailers. This is actually something that my good friend and frequent podcast guest, Dr. Peter Gao, picked up on right away, right after we were slammed with that amazing San Diego Comic-Con trailer last summer, which I think to date remains my favorite Star Trek Picard trailer so far. Um, Peter and I had a long text conversation about that trailer, and he said, I think Data is only appearing in Picard's visions. And I did not get that from that trailer, but in the subsequent trailers altogether, I have that feeling as well. I was probably blinded at first by my hope that Data would be reassembled and walk and talk and be fully functional and alive, but I kind of agree with Peter that Data will only appear in Picard's visions, and perhaps he's having these kind of uncontrollable visions featuring this prominent figure from his past because of the onset of Eromotic Syndrome, which we know gave Picard visions in All Good Things. So besides Data, Troy, and Riker, we haven't seen any of the other TNG cast members in any of the trailers. 
And while I would love to see them all back on screen, I'm guessing that they probably are not all in the show. From the pictures I saw on Twitter of who was at the Star Trek Picard premiere in Los Angeles, and if you were at that premiere, by the way, I am 1000% jealous of you, Um, but (laughs) the people that I saw, you know, walking down the red carpet taking pictures, well... Gates McFadden was there, so so I'd be willing to bet a lot of money that Beverly Crusher is going to be in the show, too. Um, but besides that, I don't really know who else is going to be in there. I would love to see Worf. I think that that's the person that I would love to see the most. One, because Worf was one of my favorite characters growing up when I was a kid. I loved that he was sort of an outsider being a Klingon, but he wasn't a traditional kind of Klingon that we'd gotten used to as like a villainous Klingon or a problematic Klingon for the crew. He was a very uprighteous Klingon and a downright funny, stern guy, too. I think Worf has a lot of really funny moments in The Next Generation and in Deep Space Nine. Um, So he's one of my favorite characters. And if we do see a Klingon, be it Worf or anybody else in Star Trek Picard, I would just be really curious to know if the production crew is going to go with the Star Trek Discovery style of a Klingon or a Worf style of a Klingon. Now, something that does give me a lot of hope for if Worf appears, that he would appear as he did in the 90s show, is that we saw a brief glimpse of the USS Enterprise NCC-1701D in the latest teaser trailer. And you know what? It looks exactly like the Enterprise D. Like, spot on. Now, I'm sure there are people out there, like my good friend and frequent podcast guest, Dr. James Tuttle Keen, who can spot those minute differences. Uh, You know, a a cargo bay is off. There's a window that there shouldn't be. Um, (laughs) You know, like, uh, maybe the proportion of the shuttle bays to one another is not the same. Fine. But the Enterprise D is 99.9% the Enterprise D. There wasn't any visual aesthetic reimagining of the ship like we got for the original Enterprise in Star Trek Discovery. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not one of those fans who bashes everything that looks different from the way it did in the previous incarnations of Trek. Of course, I have my preferences because I grew up with certain things, but I also acknowledge that times need to change. You need to update your aesthetics to appeal to a broad audience, and I wasn't mad at all that they redesigned and updated the look of the original Enterprise, but it does nonetheless warm my heart that the Enterprise D looks like the Enterprise D. And I think more than anything, honestly, this is simply a tribute to the amazing design of the artists and the craftsmen and craftswomen of the Star Trek The Next Generation, right? That their design needs no update in the year 2020, literally 30 plus years since their show aired, and that ship was designed, it's perfect. It looks great. It still looks and feels like the future. And I think that's just a testament to them, more than it is satisfying fans or whatever. It's really about the artists and their craft. Now, despite the Enterprise D being in the show, I'm suspecting that that's going to be just, again, part of Jean-Luc's visions. 
I'm really excited, though, for his new ship and his new crew, which basically look like a band of misfits rather than the all-star crew that he had on the Enterprise, you know, prim and proper Starfleet officers with huge amounts of academy training and Starfleet experience, basically the cream of the crop of the Federation. Now, Picard's new crew is not going to be relying on all of that institutional expertise and training that they you know, acquired through decades of serving Starfleet, they're going to be tackling their dilemmas and their problems and their challenges out in space, leading with their hearts. I'm guessing that there's going to be a real strong cause for them to all come together and go on this adventure. And they're going to be on it, not because an admiral ordered them to, I'm pretty sure actually they're going against Federation or Starfleet will, you know, they're probably outlaws. They're probably breaking the law or in some way not obeying higher authorities. So they're leading with their heart. And I really want to see, you know, what that looks like. I don't think we've really seen that before. Um, Maybe the closest that we've seen is Voyager, you know, traveling back home without any admirals overseeing anything. You know, they're making that journey because that's what their hearts tell them to do, to try to go home, but also to try to understand the universe around them on that journey. Uh, But we haven't seen it to the extent where it's literally a band of misfits trying to achieve something that they all believe in, and just because they believe in it. Of all of the new characters on Star Trek Picard, I am most looking forward to Elnor, who is this Romulan swordsman with a topknot. And this is because when I was a kid, I would make Star Trek games for myself and my friends to play. And they would be role-playing games of various levels of detail and difficulty. You know, it all started with, I think, a hypothetical situation where I turned to my friend Desun, whom I've had on this podcast so many times as well, like, if you were the captain of a ship in this dire situation, what do you think you would do? And then he answered it, and then he asked me the same question, like, what would you do? And then we started changing the scenario, and then we, we grew a game out of it where we would eventually have to roll dice or when the internet hit, random number generators, and we would keep logs of all our characters, and we expanded it to include other people. And it was just a lot of fun, I thought. Um, and so Desun's younger brother, Asun Oka, he played a character that was essentially a neutral good Romulan swordsman with a top knot. Uh, the character's name was Vaben, and Elnor just reminds me so much of Vaben, a person that I got to know through this game, a person that I knew in another world. And I'm just excited for a Romulan who is not a sneaky, shifty character, a treacherous guy. I'm looking forward to a Romulan with integrity. I'm looking forward to that neutral, good Romulan that Elnor seems to be. I think that would be really fun to add to the Star Trek mythos. Now, Seven of Nine is also in the show, and I am just so stoked for that. Oh, and by the way, this reminds me, happy 25th anniversary to Star Trek Voyager. 
that was the show that I grew up watching when I was in elementary school. It had a huge influence on me. It's the reason why I love space, the reason why I love the rest of Star Trek, the reason why I am literally who I am today. So it's amazing that Star Trek Voyager is now 25 years old, and it's great that we have some Voyager representation in this show. Uh, a, a huge part of it, too. You know, um, Seven of Nine was one of those key characters who got a lot of attention for the, what, three, four years that she was on Voyager in terms of story arcs and development and episodes centering around her. So I think she's really a big part of, well, the Borg theme in Star Trek. And I think, wow, what a great move. If you're going to have Picard, it's probably going to be a story that involves the Borg. And if you're going to have the Borg, then you got to have Seven of Nine too. And it makes sense, as we've seen in the trailers, that she's acting a little more, well, human, I guess, um, more easily displays emotions and isn't quite as robotic. And I, I think that makes sense, right? Uh, I mean, it's been, what, almost 20 years since Voyager came home. And I think about the 20 years between where I am right now and my personality right now and who I was 20 years ago when I was a little kid watching Voyager. And there's a huge difference, right? And, and some of you might be like, well, that doesn't count. Of course, there's a huge difference between when you were in elementary school and now. But I remind you that Seven of Nine was assimilated. Annika Hansen was assimilated by the Borg when she was of elementary school age. All right, so it's a science and Star Trek podcast, of course. So what are some science themes that I'd like to see explored in Star Trek Picard? Well, from what we've seen in the trailers, as well as the short track called Children of Mars, it looks for all the world that Picard's fears that were first laid out in that classic Star Trek The Next Generation episode titled The Measure of a Man are realized. In the short track, we see that the attack on Mars was perpetrated by synths, which could only mean synthetic organisms, or in other words, androids. And Picard is distraught over this turn of events. He couldn't stop it. And in fact, maybe it was his idea to proceed with creating more androids like Data, more Sung-type androids, as they're called in Star Trek. Maybe he did this in the wake of Data's death, partially driven because he was feeling the absence of that dear friend. And maybe this movement to create more androids backfired, like his younger self had surmised in that episode, The Measure of a Man, that you would create a race a race of what? A race of disposable beings. A race of slaves. And if they revolt, they could do a lot of damage. So the scientific theme that I think would be really interesting to tackle in Star Trek Picard is, of course, that classic theme of the idea of consciousness. I love how in The Measure of a Man, when Picard is trying to defend Data and show that Data should have human rights, he says that, look, we humans are also just machines. Machines of a different kind. And that is absolutely true. 
We run all kinds of fancy electrochemical reactions in our cells, which are made of carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and sulfur. But really what it boils down to is little nanoscale engines buzzing around, doing transformations, lifting things, carrying things, expelling things, engulfing things. These are all physical processes at work. And in the past several decades, we have begun to understand the molecular machinery of our cells. And it's absolutely stunning and remarkable and something to marvel at for infinity. But it's also teaching us about the mechanics of our living processes. We are machines, as Captain Picard said. And so what does it take to turn a conglomeration of mechanical parts, be it organic chemical parts or silicon-based chemical parts, and make it conscious? What does it take to have something learn, have memory, have emotions? Where is that boundary crossed? When does that phenomenon emerge in a system? What kind of scales of complexity do you need to achieve in a system, whether made of wires and circuits, or neurons, or a positronic neural net, where does that phenomenon of consciousness emerge? You know, today we have rudimentary artificial intelligence. We have this thing called machine learning, which is all the rage, especially in data processing. And so I wonder, in the future, where is that going to take us? And will it be a technical hurdle that prevents the Federation from creating more datas? In other words, was Dr. Sung such an unparalleled genius that it's basically impossible to reproduce his work? Or is that a technological threshold that is achieved, but there is a societal pressure that's saying, wait, we can do this, but let's not. It's wrong according to our moral standards, or we're just not ready to deal with all of its ramifications, however far-reaching they may be. Many of them could be unknown to us. And I sort of hope it's the second. I sort of hope that Commander Bruce Maddox or someone else discovers how to create more datas, and then the Federation, its lawmakers, the admirals in Starfleet, the president of the Federation, him or herself— need to grapple with the ethical implications of doing so. I think this opportunity to tell this type of story greatly parallels what will soon happen with genetic engineering in our society. We are gaining more and more knowledge about the way that we are literally coded for in DNA molecules, and we have been able to edit that code for years. I think one day it'll be possible to design humans, and the question will be then, should we? Will we? Who will decide when it's appropriate to tamper with a human's DNA? And to what extent can and should we perform this kind of alteration? You know, we could save so many lives with the healing powers of genetic engineering. But we could also create a disaster like Khan. So it would be amazingly interesting to me if the Federation also had to wrestle with something like that. But in androids, you know, a technology that they have totally cracked, they understand it, they can wield it, but then they have to choose how and when and to what extent. 
And you know what? Maybe the premise of Star Trek Picard is that they already made those decisions and it's coming back to bite them. And now the question is, how do you reverse engineer history? How do you fix a grand mistake that you made? And I think that's another theme, not a scientific theme, but a social theme that can be explored. Once you make a mistake, once you feel guilty about something, do you have the courage to, number one, own up to it? And number two, go out there and prove that you are not defined by that mistake and fix it. All right, I've gone on for way too long. Those are a selection of my pre-Picard thoughts. I look forward so much to this series. I am super excited to see what Alex Kurtzman, Patrick Stewart, et al. have created for us. I have a feeling we're all going to go and enjoy Star Trek Picard when it comes out this Thursday, January 23rd on CBS All Access here in the States, the 24th on Amazon Prime elsewhere. Grab your popcorn, some tea Earl Grey hot, or maybe even some Romulan ale, and make it so. Thank you.